Are You Just Watching is supported by our dearly loved listeners. Special thanks to Craig Hardy, Richard French, and Stephen Brown II for their monthly support. To help support Are You Just Watching, please go to patreon.com slash areyoujustwatching. Show notes for this episode can be found at areyoujustwatching.com slash 76. Are you just watching? Episode 76, Stranger Things. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And today we're talking about another Netflix original. We're, we're kind of doing that more. <laughs> Hopefully some of our listeners have watched Stranger Things season one and season two, because that's what we're talking about. Yep. And, it, you know, Netflix is... To me, of course, I've had it now for years and years, but uh, it seems almost as ubiquitous as ABC was back in the 90s to me. <laughs> yeah, except you pay for it. ABC was free. True. Uh, but uh, we're going to see more of that, not less, I'm sure. Yeah. Especially with uh, Disney, you know, coming out with mm -hmm. their own service. Yeah. Now now you have to have Disney and Amazon Prime and Netflix and oh, Hulu. Oh, and, and CBS All Access and CBS for my All. Star Trek fix. Yeah. <laughs> hey. they're, all, they're all subscriptions now. You just have to choose what you want to watch and just, I guess, budget your, your entertainment. I don't you, know how. You know, that Benedictine option is looking much better recently. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Monk, vow, poverty. Yeah. yeah. No entertainment. Yeah. Well, you know, we should be reading our Bible, right? That's the Christian answer. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's all now, about the stories. Yeah. Well, Stranger Things is, uh, I can't remember, is it rated? I think it's TV 14. So it's it not, yep. it's not um, necessarily something you'd want little kids in the room to watch, but it is not the MA, but the Defenders and. Uh, daredevil and all of those are and i believe the 13 reasons why was also ma can't remember seems like the kind of content it had in it, it should have been yeah so anyway we're actually doing something that isn't um rated horrible but i will <laughs> mention that it does have quite a bit of foul language in it yeah it, it's i would consider it softer foul language mm -hmm. um but still language you don't want your kid picking up yeah, exactly. And the horrible thing about it is is that some of that language is actually in the mouths of children in yep. the show, um, which put me off just a little bit. I don't remember kids talking like that in the 80s. And that's the other thing I really wanted to talk about here at the beginning was Stranger Things is set in the first season set in 1983, the end of 1983. And the second season is set the end of 1984. And I thought they did a pretty good job of establishing the time period, making it feel like you're actually there and oh yeah i would have been the age of the boys in this tv show at that time yeah this is kind of what i remember the 80s to be from that age age range so i was that, actually the age of nancy yeah yeah i would have been uh let's see i would have been an 11 in 83 and 12 and 84 or just turning uh, eleven and twelve, uh, so, thirteen actually. and fourteen for me. So a little, a little younger than Nancy. younger than Nancy. Yeah, because yeah, she was in high school. So yeah, it um, it's interesting what I vaguely remember about the eighties. I do remember the the um, Reagan Mondale election. That was the first election I really remember mm -hmm. going on presidential election. That was the first one I got to vote in, even if it was you know in in school. school. <laughs> Uh, and I thought it was very interesting. I don't know whether you got a chance to watch. They had another program on Netflix called Beyond Stranger Things, where they did like little 30 minute behind the scene interviews with different actors and the writers of the show and uh, producers and all of that. And uh, I was pretty amazed at, you know, they had a long discussion about how they chose the houses that had the the Reagan Bush. <laughs> oh, they, <laughs> placards they, they in talked front of about it. how to choose who each family in the in the stranger things universe was supporting yes so like uh one of them was only one of the houses had a mondale sign 
Right. And that and they said that was because they had they they went by the percentages because that was the landslide election. I mean, Reagan just yeah. I mean, he trounced Mondale. Yeah, yeah. So they had to make sure that they had the the percentages right. <laughs> um and they kind of went by the kind of character they were as to who they thought that they would support. Yeah. That's, I did cool. I I didn't get to watch Beyond Stranger Things, but I did see a, a couple of YouTube videos, you know, talking about Easter eggs and everything. Um, mm-hmm. There's one scene where there's uh, one of the mothers is talking on the phone, I think with one of the other mothers, and she's talking about Margaret Thatcher. Mm-hmm. And uh, that tied into the whole political thing, too, because apparently she was talking to the other the person who had the Mondale sign out front or something like that. Um, or it was the person who had the Mondale sign talking about it. So it was looking into the political landscape of the parents. Mm-hmm. I'm glad the kids didn't touch on it, though. Yeah, well, they wouldn't have. And that era, kids were not so politically uh astute i guess you would say that things went on but they didn't really pay much attention to it i I was gonna say indoctrinated but you know whatever yeah Yeah. it's a little of both because it kind of depends i mean if you're in a family that is really i mean your your dad sits down at the dining room table and talks politics then your kids you as kids you raise up at Mm -hmm. least knowing what your parents views are but i don't think that uh, I think it was a completely different culture that is now with social media. Now we're, we're constantly being bombarded with political and social statements. And back then, you know, if it wasn't on TV, when you happened to be watching it, which you didn't spend that much time watching TV back then. Right. I don't know. It, it just, I, and I felt like they kept that authentic. They were, you went through a lot of rooms where the TV wasn't on. Yeah. Uh, the, where the, there wasn't even a TV. Or there wasn't even a TV, yeah. yeah. And the TV you saw the most was the one that Eleven was watching, and she wasn't really watching it for TV. Well, I think she was watching it more to kind of learn how people were behaving, because yeah. she, she was such an outsider. And she learned through soaps, which is why she was so dramatic, right? <laughs> yeah. I really felt like, uh, I felt like they nailed it, but then, you know, I was a boy in mm-hmm. this time, and... I too uh, would ease could easily have raided my siblings for quarters to go play Dragon Quest, mm-hmm. which was uh, you know how season two started. Mm-hmm. Did you catch the significance? They said there were significances the the two video games they brought up there at the beginning. Dig Dug, um, I I caught the significance of that one, but yeah. not Dragon Quest. What was- Dragon Quest was about the um, well, you know, the two boys were fighting over who could save the princess, and so Max eventually becomes. Um, the the center of of the um, fight between the two guys trying to get her affection. So it was the same. Dustin and Dustin and um, Lucas. Lucas, yeah, Dustin and Lucas were both striving to get her affection. So uh, that that was kind of their introduction of the love triangle going on there. Yeah, <laughs> and I never thought of Dragon Quest in the uh, the frame of a love triangle. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it would be a much bigger than a triangle if you'd counted every person who played the game trying to save the princess. Oh, I was but... thinking between Dirk, the dragon, and the princess. No, but, uh... no. Um, they were fighting over, I guess, who could play yeah. and and who would get the best score. So, anyway. That game was, that was... impossible, by the way. <laughs> uh, I never played video games. I don't even think I ever went to an arcade. <laughs> you led Which a is... sheltered life, my dear. I did, I did. Anyway, uh, the a lot of people, I think, don't watch Stranger Things because they think it looks like it's really scary and creepy, which it is to some degree. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know that... I, I think it's scary and creepy in the way that 80s... Sh- certain types of 80s movies were scary and creepy, but they weren't like... Yeah, it, I think the scary and creepy aspects of it are secondary to the story that it's telling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it's sort of Stephen Kingish, but it's not, it's not Carrie Stephen Kingish or, or, um, more like Firestarter Christine. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was a lot more like Firestarter where it was suspense and Mm -hmm. a little bit of horror mixed in rather than horror with a little bit of suspense mixed in. (laughs) And I'm not one for horror. And I have to admit that when I first started watching Stranger Things, it came, it kept, it popped up fairly early in my Netflix uh, perusal last year. 
as an option. And I watched the first episode and was like, eh, and went away from it for a while. But I did come back and finish watching it before season two came out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it wasn't my typical fare. It's not something I would normally sit down to watch, but I did enjoy it. And what I really, what really impressed me was the amount of homage and respect they had for the type of movies that came out in the eighties. And I, I feel like it was of a type. I think the, the, the producers and the writers of the show really loved that era and yeah. it really came out in the way they portrayed that era. I mean, it's not just the fact that they're set in the eighties and these are kids playing Dungeons and Dragons and, and all of that. It's, the kind of homages that even like the the suspense part was playing, you know, you you had pieces of E.T. and you had pieces of the Goonies and you had Ghostbusters in there and you had and it wasn't just that they were referring to these. That was just that, you know, aspects of the story made you think of them. So and there were there were interesting little homages, uh, sp- you know, sprinkled throughout. But yes, they do. A lot of homages to uh, 80 stuff. Uh, the movies in particular, uh, Goonies and, and Ghostbusters, are heavy in there. Season two. Uh, season two, right. What what, what yeah. was heavy in season one? Um, season one didn't really do the movies as much. Um, I, I think that there were – it wasn't that they mentioned the movies. I think it was more like there were certain scenes that kind of played off of scenes and movies. Yeah. It wasn't an, an intentional – I think it was intentional in some places, but it wasn't necessarily called out. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it's it like, does. Um, like, and and even in season two, they're they're constantly in season two. Like the scene where uh, Eleven shows up with the the um, the sheet over her was an homage to uh, ET. And I mean, it was they they were everywhere. Uh, um, Animal where, House where she, was in there. Yeah, that when she got in the first season, when she got on the bike and they went riding through the streets with them chasing them, that was also an homage to ET. E. Um, so they, they were playing off of a lot of the really big 80s movies when they did this. And I think they did a very good job. I mean, it wasn't like you're saying, oh, that's that movie or that's that movie. They weren't doing it that way. Mm-hmm. But it was it was just, you know, like a nod of respect to the, the genre of that of that era. And I and, and the music it was also that way. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, <laughs> it, you know, all the movies that they referenced, they were all uh, at least I I think this. I might be wrong. It's, our listeners can correct me if I'm wrong. But it, it seems like they were all movies that were team movies, you know, loyalty and working together mm-hmm. and all that. And and really, that's what both seasons of Stranger Things has come down to is the, the friendship. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And Stand By Me. That was another oh, really yeah, big one. Yeah, that's yeah. true. With the train tracks and, the, and, and <laughs> yeah. all. Yeah. Yeah, they 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 got they got them all in there some way, shape, or form. But yeah, there, there's a lot of a lot of inspiration that they took from actual uh, genres and movies and music that were produced in the '80s. And and I think that that's one of the things that made it feel more authentic to the time period. Uh, we just nowadays we just don't think like that, so it's a it's a different perspective. I I think that the, the... The ones that they chose really did a good job of invoking certain aspects of that time period too. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like the like the Stand by Me and and the Goonies um, working together and um, really just friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I think that was an important part because it, so much of so much of season one was about rescue. Uh, mm-hmm. physic, you know, physical rescue and belief, and uh, just determination to to make things right. And then season two was so much more about um, helping people deal with the trauma of season one. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It, it really, it, it, I, and that's one of the things that I liked about season two was that they didn't just ignore. Everything that had happened before. Yeah, yeah. There were yeah. Con- there were consequences to what happened in the first season. And yeah. When creators do that, I I enjoy it more because I feel like they're picking up and addressing the pseudo realities that they've created. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, it, it always bugs me when, you know, a sequel kicks in and you're like, uh, but we, what? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ah! yeah, exactly. Uh, and and we've already mentioned it, but the music was, I think, Im- impressive. I mean, some of those songs I haven't heard since I was since the eighties. <laughs> it's kind of it's like, oh yeah, I remember that song. Oh well, yeah, I remember that song. But the theme also helped because the theme by Luke Millen sounds like it was something out of like Tron. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just fits that era so well. It's very synthesized, and and we'll listen to a little bit of it here. But yeah, that just it makes you feel like you're back in the 80s watching Tron or regardless, they did a spectacular job with the 80s all around with mm-hmm. music, with imagery, uh with references to the different uh movies and images uh, like like we mentioned the mm-hmm. the Reagan Bush sign and the uh, Mondale it wasn't I don't even, Gerardo, I don't who, was it? I don't remember. I don't know who he was running with. And and you know what was so interesting was, you know, how where they went back, like when they were trick-or-treating and all the candy were in their authentic 80s wrappers. It's like, how much did, how did they find all of those <laughs> must, 80s candies? There's got to be a company out there in, in Los Angeles that specializes in in making that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like the old Three Musketeers wrapper. Yeah. <laughs> That was pretty amazing. And and just, you know, to bring children that were born in this millennium have no clue what it's like to live without cell phones. And I think it's, you know, they really show very well in Stranger Things how difficult communication is. Oh, know? yeah. You know, where they had to go run to the library to check out books to find out, you know, what their, <laughs> their little polywog was. And when he would have to, you know, like check in with Eleven by using, you know, the, the radio to do Morse code. Yep. And uh, it was just, you know, all of these little little things that we just don't even think about anymore. It's like, oh, just text them, you know, or just Google it, you know. Google didn't exist back then. Oh, it's so, it, I look at it from... Uh, Joyce Byer's standpoint when she's wondering where her kids are, you know, mm-hmm. I, all I have to do is pick up my phone and dial them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course, back then, I didn't, I don't think I thought to myself, oh, my parents don't know where I am. Yeah. Well, no. Because I was it, in the neighborhood. I, you know, I was out playing kick the can or I was. Uh, if you weren't home by dark, they might start to work. Yeah, exactly. You know? uh, but I but, wanted to be home by dark because uh, otherwise I wouldn't get dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a completely different era. And it, it's nostalgic to think back about it. And I think that's one of the reasons that I liked Stranger Things so much is because it. It, it's there's a lot of nostalgia in looking back at the 80s, you know, for, at, from the standpoint of somebody who lived through it. And I think it's educational for those who didn't. So, you know, the, the next generation could go back and go, oh, that's what it was like to live in the 80s. Um, yeah. You know, the strange hair and the strange music and the lack of communication. And yeah, the strange hair comes to mind a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking as somebody who proudly wore a mullet. Yeah. Well, you know what's so weird about it? It's like I can't imagine all these young kids playing in these in these roles and having to to be dressed up to look like they're from the eighties. And um, the the new bad guy uh, in season two, they he actually wore a wig because he didn't want oh, really? to do his hair up. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was wearing a wig, and uh, he had a mullet in the show, didn't he? Uh, I think um, the other guy had more of one, but yeah, he the new. The season two guy, Billy, I can't, I can't Billy remember. Billy Hargrove. To, yeah, Billy Hargrove. He, um, he, the, the actor was wearing a wig because he didn't want to do the hair. <laughs> now, I think all the rest of them did real hair. but um, Eleven yeah. definitely did. Oh, I just, and you know, she is such an incredible actress. And I've, I've been, you know, looking into her a little bit more, you know, since 
you know, I watch Stranger Things and they, they talk to her a great deal in the, in Beyond Stranger Things. It's just an amazing, you know, she's so beautiful. And to, just take her hair off and to dirty her up and you know it, it's amazing what an effect it is yeah but. I've, I've seen her on like fallon and and a couple uh-huh. other places where she's dressed normally <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it, the transformation f- for her as a character as a character of 11 is uh well you see you actually see a little bit about that uh, uh close to the end of the season where they do this um this breakaway episode where she goes to the city mm-hmm. and they, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, when they, a makeover, they do a makeover mm-hmm. for her. Yeah. Um, but it's an eighties makeover. So it's not quite realistic. I mean, yeah. in, in our mind, it might've been realistic then, but. Yeah. Well, we'll put in the show notes. Cause I found that she, I think it was on Jimmy Fallon. She did a rap. Oh, I of- saw that. A recap of season one. Yeah, yep. a recap of season one from from Eleven's point of view, and and it was it's adorable, yeah. and she's got a really great voice too. So that'll yeah. be an excellent uh, excellent addition to the show notes. That's a good idea. Yes, yes. Um, and her name's Millie Bobby Brown. And go another ahead, another Brit. And, Darn yeah, it! Yeah, yeah. And Netflix seems to draw most of their characters from. We, we've from, we've got to get some good Americans in there. Make <laughs> make American actors great. Oh no, wait, I don't want to say that. <laughs> Uh, well, I think it's great because the thing is, is that so many of our American actors, they get typecast. And whenever yeah. you see them, you think of them as actors. You don't think of them as the character. And by mining a whole new group of actors, they're able to to sink you into the character better because you're not thinking about who the actor is so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that works for an American audience because we get so, oh, well, that's so-and-so. And he played this and this and this and this. And Oh, who's this? I don't know who this is. You know, so you, you kind of get lost in the character yeah, when, a little better when they when they bring in complete unknowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I do wonder uh, uh, another rabbit trail here. I do wonder <laughs> over in England if uh, you know they bring in Americans for the same effect. Well, you know, Americans can't fake the British accent as well as British can fake the American <laughs> accent. That's because the American accent is one that's developed out of pure laziness. <laughs> yeah, we don't well. we don't like to hold our mouth properly. <laughs> okay, let let's move on though. Yes. Was there anything in uh, Stranger Things that you didn't particularly like, or you uh, you did particularly like? Well, the thing I like the most is that it's set in the eighties and that it it feels authentic mm-hmm. and they did a very good job of setting that and the, the the child actors were absolutely amazing i mean it is so hard to find good actors at that represent those ages and they not only did they have one or two they had a whole cast of them yeah and i none of their performances were bad i don't think i can't think of any of them that stood out as being a sore thumb and I, that's a testament to not just the actors themselves, but to the director to be able to draw those kind of performances out of these kids is just amazing. Especially the really young ones because they had like the the little the little girls. Um, I think there was a little girl in season one and another separate se- little girl in season two that they were probably oh, yeah. not the little the sisters. sisters. Yeah, yeah, um, and they did. They, I mean, they drew great performances out of these children that are so young they probably <laughs> can't even sister. learn lines. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that, I think that was really what, what drew me in and kept me watching was really the great performances and the, and the reminiscence of being able to see something set so authentically in the eighties. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's not a genre that I necessarily ap- appreciate watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the kind of thing that it didn't give me nightmares or anything because I'm old enough to know that it's not real, but I think it could be nightmarish material for younger kids. This, but, you know, the other thing I really liked was they did transitions spectacularly. I mean, that was it. They were so well done. I noticed them being well yeah. done. And that that takes such great timing and perfect editing to be able to, like, smash from one scene to the other. And if you blink, you miss it. And it's just amazing. Yeah, that that's a really good point, actually, is that mm-hmm. uh, the production quality, it, everything was so well done 80s-ish. You didn't notice mm-hmm. that the production quality was so hot, so much higher 
than mm-hmm. the 1980s allowed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but the the creative decisions as far as stuff like the transitions and and segues and where to uh, how to pace the action and everything really was spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you. Well, it's I. I really didn't have a lot to dislike. Uh, uh, I liked almost everything about Stranger Things. The first one I binged in two days. Second one I think I took four on. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, there were uh, there was one thing that still bugs me, even though it's actually two different characters, and that's um, two what I felt were subplots that didn't get enough, you know, script time. Even though I I cannot fathom how they could have gotten more uh and that was the backstory for uh hopper's uh daughter dying uh which did get more than the other one which was uh uh billy's the the bully in the second season uh his home life you know i think those were intentionally yeah. uh, minimized i don't think it wasn't it was oh we didn't have the screen time to cover them i think they were intentionally left as just teasers and I think there was a reason for that because um, I think it, it led to Hopper's complexity. Mm-hmm. And and he's the kind of man that wouldn't go around and talk about what went before. In fact, when they somebody sure. asked him about his daughter in the first season, he said that he, she didn't live with him anymore. And which gave the impression that, you know, he was estranged yeah. from the family or whatever. But it was, he didn't mention that she was dead. Someone else had to tell the questioner, oh, you know, she passed away. And so I think that it's intentional. I mean, that it would have taken them so far out of the story to, but they were such subtle backstories that they led to the, they, they led to what made that character so complex. Yeah, uh, uh, definitely. It's speaking from experience. Um, I, I can tell you that when, when people ask about my son, Aaron, uh, it, or when they ask just a simple question, how many children do you have? I never mm-hmm. know if I'm supposed to answer three or four. Mm-hmm. And because when when you say I had a son who died, mm-hmm. it changes the entire situation. Right. I mean, people it, when when I have done it, when when it's been appropriate to do it, um, people have completely lost their train of thought. It's it, I I can certainly understand where Hopper was coming from, although they made him even more uh, reticent to discuss it. Than, mm-hmm. than I have been with Aaron, but for Aaron, it's part of my wife's and my testimony. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we've, we, you don't get used to discussing it, but uh, we have embraced that, that our discussing it can encourage other people to talk about stuff like that, to talk about trauma. Mm-hmm. And if, frankly, when you look at Hopper, you, you make an excellent point. When you look at Hopper, it really does play to, uh, the trauma that he is going through, and he actually goes is going through the same trauma uh, in both seasons, which is unique of all the characters. He comes into season one mm-hmm. with this significant trauma that is actually resolved in season two. Not resolved, probably the wrong word, uh, but addressed <laughs> uh, to a significant degree in season two when he um, ad- adopts. Uh, 11. 11. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that, that that's one of the, the things that I like so much about is that these characters are not cookie cutter. I mean, they all have backstories that it make explanation for them, that, that puts them, I mean, it's not like their life just started when the show started and it ends when the end, yeah. you know, it's like there, there's something before and there's something that's going to continue after. And they, that makes them feel like real characters instead of just being, you know, characters on a, play script yeah. somewhere and cookie cutter characters were pretty common in the 80s too so it wouldn't have been out of mm-hmm. place it but yeah you, you're absolutely right um and hopper is an excellent example of uh the complexity like hopper uh will's mother joyce mm-hmm. um so many layers to her and and played uh in my opinion masterfully by winona Ryder. Yes, yes. Uh, she does an amazing job. Oh, does she ever? It's, it's she's always yeah. been one of my favorites. Um mm-hmm. didn't she win an Oscar for Girl Interrupted? 
I don't know. We'd have to look it yeah. up. <laughs> um, yeah, she, she, she's, she's got her chops. No question about it. Yeah. Yeah, and she sinks herself into characters so that you don't see that it's Winona Ryder. You're seeing Joyce. Yeah. You're not seeing, uh, th- you know the the thing about Joyce is that she is she is the atypical for the '80s. I mean, the the single divorced mother, mm-hmm. hardworking, uh, and and they kind of portray that in a way that you know everybody thinks she's a little off and a little crazy, and they don't really you don't really feel like she's got a lot of close. Uh, female friends you know the women that she can turn to because i think they all a little weary wary of her you know yeah and 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 of course she comes across as completely crazy because of you know what's going on with will and it makes it look makes her look crazy and she's the only one that really believes that there's something else going on there everybody else is just looking at the surface yeah she's she starts out as haggard but yeah. when Will disappears and then the lights start flickering, everybody starts writing it off as, uh, well, she's finally gone over the deep end. Yeah. She plays it masterfully and the com- the character is complex. You find out, you know, you know about that she's divorced and uh, that her ex is a, a very strange man who, you know, takes advantage of situations. And you kind of understand why she's gotten her and her boys away from him. Mm-hmm. And... And then you you notice that she still has a fairly decent relationship with him when the they say, well, we'll call your ex. And she's like, oh, no, I'll call him. You know, yeah. <laughs> just let me handle that. You know, so it wasn't where she she didn't like she wanted to be the one communicating with him because she she knew right off the bat he had nothing to do with it. And uh, just because of he's too lazy to you know, think of something like that. I want to say that back in the 80s, there was this, the the social movement. Uh, uh, to recognize that the difficulties that single parent families had, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I I like that they put her in as a uh, as a struggling single parent. I don't like that she was a single single parent, obviously. Yeah, um, but the character they really did a good job with the character, particularly showing her how incredibly uh, busy she was and devoted. Uh, mm-hmm. she was uh, her devotion was nearly perfect yeah and but at the same time you kind of see that at, at the same time that there was neglect at some point because jonathan is very uh independent mm-hmm. and he he's he's cooking the meals he's taking you know will to school and all of these things prior to will's disappearance he was the one that was in charge of making sure will got home from you know, his play day with his friends and Jonathan had taken an, another job. And yeah. so he left and wasn't home and didn't know Will had never come home. So you, you get this, you know, coming into the first season, you kind of get this feeling that she has been somewhat neglecting. Yeah. You know, I, I what's can't going argue that that kids. wasn't neglect, but I, yeah. but I would argue that it was certainly not malicious and possibly no. even necessary. No, I, and I completely agree with you that, you know, she's a single mom probably working extremely long hours just to, you know, put food on the table. Yeah. So I, I'm not necessarily saying it makes her a bad mom. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a struggle that every single parent would have to make uh, because you either, you're either there for your kids or you're providing for your kids. You can't do both. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, that's the choice that single moms have to make. And even when you see her, you know, going in and asking for time off and asking for an advance so that she has the money to do, you know, what she needs to do to find Will. Yeah. And, you know, she, she's, and she even told her boss, you know, I'm never late. I'm never sick. I'm always here. You know, help me this time. You know, you got to understand what I'm going through. Just give me the advance. Hmm. So, yeah, it, yeah, I think that what she is as a single mom plays a lot into what her children are. And that is why Jonathan is such an interesting character, because uh, he could so easily have been a stereotype. And he there's a lot of depth to him because you see him at home before you see him the way he is with his age group. Yeah, it, it's almost like he sacrificed his his ability to socialize with his age group to take on the responsibilities of being the man of the house. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of young men in our world today that have to make those choices Yeah, to, to sacrifice their childhood in order to help at home when they have a single parent who's working themselves to death. Yeah. We uh, mentioned a couple of stereotypes and I think of uh, 
all the main characters. I think Nancy starts out as a, starts out heavily as a stereotype, but then even mm-hmm. they even she breaks out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Steve, her boyfriend. Oh, yeah, he boy, boy is he a stereotype? Yeah, that's for sure. You know, the thoughtless jock who's just trying to get in her pants, and he gets there. Yeah, <laughs> but but then I think he finds out somewhere along the way that there's more to Nancy. And and she makes him be more too. Yeah. Well, so. you know, it's sort of hard not to change when you come face to Maul with the Demogorgon. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I've I've been watching you know some commentary about Stranger Things, and you know, there's this thing going around as to whether Nancy should be with Jonathan or whether she should be with Steve. <laughs> oh my! And and you know, <laughs> the, the, it's like Twilight. All it's over like again. Twilight all over again. Yeah. And the weird thing about it is that there's so many people who said that Jonathan doesn't deserve Nancy because he is such a, a stalker loner kind of thing. And and I'm like, yeah, that's the stereotype they built him under, but I don't think that that's necessarily who he is. And I and I think the thing that most people miss and that I think is very important, you know, her drunken statement, the drunken conversation oh, yeah. that she had with At Steve the Animal and, House party. And yeah, in season two, uh, I think that that was the real Nancy talking, you know, because she had been through so much and we won't say the word that she keeps saying over and over again there because it mm-hmm. was uh, a bad word that she kept saying over and over again. But she definitely was revealing her inner heart that she was never in love with Steve. And I think that a lot of girls in that situation, especially in high school, you date the popular guy because it's the right, th- it's the thing to do, you know, and your heart is actually somewhere else, but you dare not follow your heart because it will get you uh, in trouble with the click, you know, yeah, and, exactly. and I, I really feel like that was the depth of Nancy was is, is that she, I think she always cared about Jonathan once she noticed him in season mm-hmm. one, I think she immediately, this is a guy I can connect with. But because Steve was already her boyfriend and she was popular and and Jonathan was not, I think she made the, the, the popular decision. She went the popular way. Yeah. And and it wasn't that Steve was a bad guy. I think it was just that her real ed- affections in, in the end turned out to be for Jonathan. And she she went the way that um, that she really felt that yeah. she had a connection with him. You really got the, particularly when that scene at the party happens, you really got the impression that she had been maintaining a mask uh, for social purposes the entire time. And, and when, mm-hmm. when she, you know, lost her inhibitions, the max, the mask broke. Yeah. Broke really badly. Yeah. <laughs> But she didn't even remember that it had broken because she didn't understand the next day when Steve didn't come to get her for school that she had basically broken up with him while she was under the influence. Yeah. One thing I want to talk about with uh, with Nancy in particular, um, and this may not go anywhere, uh, but I'm hoping it spurs discussion. If not here, then in, somewhere else in yeah. the on Facebook or in the forums or whatever. There's a a part of her storyline, uh, hers and and uh, not Jonathan Steve's, um, where Nancy just cannot take lying to Barb's parents anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and apparently th- they were going to dinner once a week, right? It looks like it, or yeah. was it once a month or uh, regularly on a, on some type of regular schedule? And uh, season two opens with uh, Barb's parents having hired a. Um, private investigator to find Barb because they're convinced that she's not dead. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the guilt is eating away at Nancy. And it occurred to me, you know, that this is a relatively common, I don't know if plot element is the right word, but it's relatively common for uh, people to feel guilty about lying and eventually eventually tell the truth um at, you know and, and it's a, a point of character to development why does society accepts this uh this plot device unquestioningly that people should be should feel guilt and shame about lying uh repeatedly particularly to a family that is in grieving why can't they take the next next step? Why can't people understand that it's a reflection on the truth of 
ultimate rightness in God and mm-hmm. ultimateness, ultimate wrongness in sin, mm-hmm. in yeah. Satan. It that baffles me. Well, I I think it goes back to uh, the Romans one. You know that that every we are all have have it written on our hearts. We all know we know the truth, and and we willingly turn our backs on it. So God is written on our hearts. We just don't yeah. want to, you know. It's hardening of hearts, maybe. I think God has established that in the heart of man to know right and wrong. I mean, that was the whole point of of the fall, you know, is the the eating of the fruit, the knowledge of good and evil. We we became less innocent, and so yeah, I think that even when we're doing wrong, there's a, our consciences will tell us we're doing wrong. And the guilt eats away at us. I think that's where that philosophy of the God-shaped hole comes from, is that Mm -hmm. you can't, uh, there's not necessarily biblical to talk about a God-shaped hole, but it's, but it is an aspect of our, of our being, of our soul that screams out for God. And if we try to fill it with other things, it it never fits because the only thing that that fits, fits that is God. But yeah, I think that that's because the law is written on our hearts. We know yeah. right and wrong. Yeah. It, but there are still there are always going to be people out there who refuse to to see the shape of that hole, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Uh, and that that's just what astounds me. And and I and you know I even know I know that there are people out there who see the shape. Uh, they they see the law written on their hearts and refuse to abide by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there are people out there who see the law written on their hearts and know the source of the law mm-hmm. and still refuse to abide by it. Yeah. So it, it's just, you know, one of those things that, that always grates on me is, is how can people see this <laughs> and still be blind? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the, the question of ages, I guess. Yeah. yeah well, the mysteries of God. Yes. I wanted to talk about childlike wonder because this has always been a topic that has interested me from the Bible um, uh, and specifically um, thinking of Matthew 8, uh, uh, excuse me, Matthew 18, 2 through 4. He called a child and had him stand among them and, and Jesus said, truly, I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, that comparison has always been of interest to me. And I th- I think that uh, is reflected in some small way in the adolescent kids in Stranger Things, uh, both mm-hmm. in season one and season two, where they, you know, the, they see what's happening and they don't try to deny it. Mm-mm. They they accept it and they uh, because you know their minds are still accepting of the impossible. Um, I, I think if a Demogorgon Gorgon were to start scratching at my front door, I would still try to come up with some more Excellent. logical explanation, like I'm being punked. Well, and they they fit it so well into the fantasy world that they live in, you know. Yeah. It, their their whole structure, their friendship is based on dun- Dungeons and Dragons. And, yeah, you know, they're, they're a party. They're, they're a party, and they very careful about who they let in, and and everybody has a, sp- a specific role to play, mm-hmm. and so everything fits into their their world the way they see it. And kids are that like that. I mean, they they interpret what's around them uh, based on, I guess, their interests and their. The influence is on them, I guess. Every, every child lives in a fantasy world because they don't have the experience yet uh, because they're constantly developing a definition of reality. And mm-hmm. we still are. I mean, even even in our, our, our 40s, mm-hmm. uh, we're still coming to terms, <laughs> sometimes painfully, with what, <laughs> with what the realities of the world we live in are. Yeah. And uh, it's... You know, it, I I wanted to bring this up because Christ, on a couple of occasions, tells us that we need to embrace that childlike wonder. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew ten sixteen, uh, Christ says, "Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents, and as innocent as doves." Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's, you know, we're not supposed to be stupid. Yeah, but at the same time, we're supposed to be open. Yeah. And uh, there was one other uh, that I pulled out, 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty, Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. <laughs> um, and that's what it comes down to is be responsible for your actions. Think about what you're going to do, but at the same time, stay innocent. <laughs> <laughs> keep Keep that childlike wonder. Yeah. Uh, in in your faith uh, among other places. I mean, God really can do anything. That childlike wonder is probably a portion of that mustard seed that allows you to move mountains. Well, and that and the fact that we we approach God as children. Mm -hmm. It's not, I mean, that's how God addresses us. We're his children. Yeah. So there's a certain aspect of that. You know, the the adult i can do it myself i'm i'm now in control i have all of the i'll have all of the answers and that's not true we we never reach a stage in our adulthood where we have all the answers and we have absolute control and we have to have that that childlike reliance on god um to fill in the gaps because yeah. we, as children we turn to our parents and as adults we turn to god yeah <laughs> I recently completed a study on Romans 10, and in Romans 10, Paul talks about the, uh, I can't even pronounce it, I can't pronounce the Greek without having it in front of me, but he talks about the, the law having been like the slave from Roman times whose sole purpose was to to be the escort of the the boys in the, ha- the, boy in the house mm-hmm. uh, who would become the inheritor to keep them from evil to keep them walking the right path they weren't the boys weren't allowed to go anywhere in these in these upper economic households they weren't allowed to go anywhere without this this slave to to be their guide Mm -hmm. uh, to be their guard and paul was comparing that position to the role of the law and the law still does serve some of that Mm-hmm. Um, particularly for non-believers, because you know the law is still out there. But for us, we also have the spirit, mm-hmm. and since the spirit and the law uh, can never conflict, because you know the law is of God and the spirit is God. Well, the the Christ was the fulfillment of the law, so that was. A lot of Christians think we've discarded the law because we're not Christians, but Christ fulfilled the law. The whole, the law was looking forward to him. And so you have to understand that it's not that the law doesn't have an importance. That's why we have an old Testament in our Bibles is we have to understand the context that why Christ came and what he saved us from. And that, I mean, I think that's really the whole purpose of the book of Romans. Yeah. (laughs) Reiterated over and over again. Yeah, it's. I I think that that loss of childlike wonder. I think that has led to, or contributed to the the rise of, um, you know, the nuns, N O N E S, not N U. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so many children nowadays are raised to be skeptics, and yeah. it's not necessarily wrong to be skeptical. Um, I I think that a lot of times, at the same time that they're raised to be skeptics, they're raised to be completely indoctrinated in a certain way of thought. It's like skeptical of certain things, but completely dominated by yeah. This is the way it is, and you have to think and decide this box. Almost more mentality. than skeptics to the to the realm of cynic. Yeah, that's probably better than skeptic because skeptic yeah. can be good, cynic can't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, they're actually pre-programmed to dismiss certain ideas while at the same time locked into a box of certain other ideas that they can't think outside of. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is our, you know, the generation that's coming is that they've been, you know, locked in that way and they're not innocent anymore. They're not there. I think our kids are growing up way too fast. We're, we're forcing, I don't know that we're forcing them to as much as we are allowing society to develop in such a way where they are expected to grow up faster, mm-hmm. to to be more mature earlier. 
And part of that is, you know, the the resource of information. I mean, yes. it's like uh, in, in the 80s, you know, we've already mentioned it before, but in the 80s, communication was so hard and information was was not reachable. And I mean, you had to go and and look up microfiches, you know, in the library and read them on the special <laughs> I'd forgotten readers. about that, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, now it's just, you know, you just pick up your phone and Google it, you know, mm-hmm. it's like all the information's at your fingertips and there's nothing that cannot be known. And that just creates a different environment and to raise kids in. Yeah. You almost have to shelter them because there's some things that you don't want them to know until they're old enough and mature enough to know them. And there are people out there who just don't understand that that reality that that there are stuff you should be keeping from your children. <laughs> yeah. It, it drives me crazy. Kids do not need to be burdened with Every element of reality. No. And these kids in this show are not. No, uh, they, they aren't. They, I love that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting to see some of the home lives that some of them come out of. Um, you know, I think Dustin's mom might be single, too. I don't think that really came out in in the uh, season one, but you only see her by herself with the cat in season two so i i think she might be single. oh I, I you know i i never thought about it but yeah it, it you know i always saw her more of like an adoptive aunt i guess than, <laughs> than mother or grandma but he did call her mom so yes mm-hmm. and huh. she you never see a, a father there and then you see um I, well the the other family you see the most of is uh mike and nancy's uh family and uh, there's obviously some interesting things going on in that family as well. But at the same time, the kids, I, I guess, don't really necessarily feel the, the absence of their father, even when he's there. Yeah. And and the fact that their mother is uh, rather flighty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, Lucas actually had the best family of, of the four. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I, I loved... Uh, I don't know if you remember it. There's a scene where Lucas is asking about how to uh, how to talk to girls, and the exchange between his mom and his dad was priceless. <laughs> it was just perfect. It, the dad knew <laughs> he knew. Yep, you just you just tell her she's right. <laughs> yep, yep. Because she is, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> yep. The reason I I briefly wanted to talk about stories is uh, I lived through the through the D&D is evil thing because I yeah, when so, I was that age I so did I, I, I and I still I still enjoy D&D um, mm-hmm. uh, but you have to remember that everything has to serve uh, our our sole purpose which is to glorify God and that, and that includes telling our stories mm-hmm. and that's really what uh, D&D is uh, all role playing games are is a cooperative storytelling and it it needs to point to the truth of uh, of God yeah it was, it was interesting I was trying to explain to a, a much younger friend of mine um, why I had been raised to believe D&D was wrong and I was tra- she's like well I don't understand what was wrong with it and I'm like well uh, <laughs> I, I was trying to think back. What was the reasoning? Why did they tell me it was evil? And the only thing I could come up with is that I vaguely remember that there was a rash of suicides um, when D&D was popular, that they thought that, that people, that young people were would get themselves lost in their character. Mm-hmm. And when their character would get killed in the game, uh, they, they felt like their purpose was over and they would commit suicide. Uh-huh. And I, I just vaguely remember that, that that was one of the reasons why it was so evil, you know, is that the, you, you lost your sense of, of, of who you were in the game and that you got too attached to it. And Yeah. I remember Satan worshiping being a huge <laughs> thing. All D&D <laughs> players were Satan worshipers because it was right on the front cover. And it had magic in it and yep, all of that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, one scripture I wanted to throw out there, uh, and it, if I'm misusing this, please, listeners, don't hesitate to tell me. Um, uh, Matthew thirteen ten through 13, 
the disciples came up to him and, and said, why are you speaking to them in parables? He answered, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever ha- and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That is why I speak to, to them in parables, because... Looking, they do not see, and hearing, they do not listen or understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, to break it down, uh, uh, Christ was saying that the parables were sort of a sneaky way to get them to see the truth. It, it's, you know, Aesop's fables and uh, Grimm's fairy tales, they all, uh, they all point to uh, common truths. Mm-hmm. And... Um, or like the Chronicles of Narnia revealed Christ. Exactly. Yeah. And Lewis was great with that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that That's always bugged me. And, and I was probably traumatized a little bit by it, you know, in, in the 80s. I know some adults my age that still play Dungeons and Dragons. That's, so it's, I, I it's, still do, too. I, I've never been in, invested in it because I've never played it. But yeah. it, it it's one of those things where you know it's not real, so it doesn't. Wait a minute! It's not. What? <laughs> um, I, I like. Just kidding. I like stories that are not real because reality is painful. Yeah. So sometimes you just want to, you know, you want to escape from it for a little while. I used to and, love Tom Clancy until you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's why I guess you know the the whole superman superhero mentality. We watch a lot of superhero and we watch a lot of science fiction mm-hmm. and. And all of that, they all, they all come really under the same, um, the same escapism clause. You know, it's like, it's not real. We don't, we don't have to, uh, emotionally or philosophically invest in them. And as much though, as Christians, we should be watching them with our eyes open for, uh, counterfeit, uh, philosophies that we're endorsing by, uh, getting involved in such things. But at the same time, we, as long as we know they're there, um, I think that it, it's helpful for us to understand how the world thinks yeah. sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it is, even if we would rather ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> One of the last things that I wanted to to talk about is something that just kind of, I don't know, it just kind of snuck in on me while I was watching it, is it seemed like all of the evil portrayed in Stranger Things is external. And even though, even when you had bad characters, there was external reasons mm-hmm. for that. And it, it struck me mainly because this is something we see a lot. Yeah. And yeah. because it's the underpinnings of a humanistic uh, philosophy that we're all basically good. And that if, if there's something evil about it, somebody, then it, it must be caused by something external, um, a bad home life, uh, abuse as a child, uh, you know, like in the case of Billy in season two, you know, an abusive father, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, it's everything comes from outside and we know from scripture that that's not true. And we, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. That's what it says in Jeremiah. It says, I, the Lord search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. That's Jeremiah seventeen nine mm-hmm. through 10. In Romans, it tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're not good people. We have evil in our hearts and we can't like, you know, just bringing this more into the here and now, like the guy in Las Vegas who just, you know, poked guns out of a window and just started sh- mowing people down. Yeah. You know, it's like he was evil. It's like it wasn't external. It wasn't. This was this is the evil of mankind portrayed. And we have as as the humanistic philosophy has such a hard time understanding that. But as Christians, we can go and look at it and go, yeah, mankind is evil. We have all of that. All of us have some of that in our hearts. People people want to believe that people are generally good and just make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I and I I think Hollywood probably uh, there's there's definitely humanism in there, but I think Hollywood would have trouble selling that there are evil people who are not you know, living in a volcano over a pool of sharks that have 
<laughs> chairs that drop down into them. Yeah. Uh, I think they, they would have trouble selling that there are simply people out there who are selfish jerks for no reason other than that they are selfish jerks. Mm-hmm. Or that, you know, they they just don't do the right thing. And that's that's what it comes down to is we're all fallen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that actually ties into the last thing that I wanted to talk about, which was <laughs> in in Stranger Things, there are a number of scene, scenes that, that take place in uh, this alternate world, this alternate uh, parallel uh, universe Dimension? that they have. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that they refer to as the Upside Down. and Which was not necessarily the original phrase for it. I found that out. Oh, really? In the Beyond Stranger Things, they were saying that originally they were going to call it the Nether, and uh, that it that the name Upside Down came from Eleven's uh, perspective on it. And so once she started calling it the Upside Down, that was the name that got attached oh. to it. You know, they might have even mentioned that in the in the uh, first couple episodes of season one. Anyway, um, so when the scenes take place in the upside down everything is dark and corrupt i mean horribly horribly corrupt mm-hmm. uh, there's ugly black stuff growing everywhere and it it is and it's non-peopled it's empty it it's so markedly different mm-hmm. but still all the physicality is the same right Mm-hmm. Everything is still the same. And it struck me that humanity post-fall is mm-hmm. living in the upside down. I mean, <laughs> that is how – that is as different as the upside down was from the real world of Will and Dustin and Lucas and Mike. That is how different the world we live in today is from the world that God intended from before the fall of Adam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a shadow, a copy. Yeah, in fact, that all the buildings kind of, are the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting because in in Hebrews eight, where he's talking about um, Christ as the great priest, um, it says, "Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve." a copy and shadow of the heavenly things Mm -hmm. for when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So it's like, he's, he's talking about that, like the temple and the tabernacle and all of that stuff was, was a shadow of, of an, of a heavenly thing. And they were supposed to follow the exact cop, you know, the exact instructions that God gave them because they were creating a copy and so we live in a, like you said, a, a demeaned and and dirty and sinful copy of what God originally created. I think I think some people out there, uh, some unsaved people, may even understand that. I, I just don't think people realize the drastic difference, mm-hmm. um, and it, the way that the Duffer Brothers showed the upside down versus. Uh, the regular world uh, just made that stand out to me. We mankind is mankind is the demogorgon. <laughs> yeah, uh, it it is the fallen serving creature. the shadow lord. Yeah, yeah, it's the shadow monster. Uh, we are pre Christ, pre salvation. We are slaves to sin, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what the demogorgon much, is. Much like Will is a slave to the shadow monster yeah. in the season too. Yeah, uh, it, that's the part of Stranger Things I think that had the most uh, analogy, metaphor, simile. <laughs> one of those <laughs> uh, for me, it was so analogous to um, how drastic the difference will be uh, when Christ returns to Earth, and we see heaven and our glorified bodies, yeah. and it, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting to think about. Yeah, you know, there's so much more we could discuss trying to handle two whole seasons of a TV show yeah. uh, like this one that has so much depth and so much complexity. This is very difficult. And we really 
encourage all of our listeners, if you want to discuss some of these things and or even bring up stuff we completely missed, because I'm sure there's tons, um, to come to our new discussion group on, well, I guess it isn't new, we've had it for a while, but we still haven't, a lot of people haven't joined, so we, we would like to have more people join our discussion group on Facebook, and the link will be in sh- in our show notes, but you can also just uh, do a search in Facebook for Are You Just Watching? And it is the group, not the page. And um, just ask to join and come in and, and yeah. help us uh, discuss more about this. And if, and if, you, if they have trouble finding if you have trouble finding it, uh, just reach out to me on Facebook. It's Tim Martin in Virginia Beach. I think I'm the only one. Um, and <laughs> E. Franklin, Beach. I think you're. I think you're the only E. Franklin on Facebook, aren't you? I don't know. There are probably others. Yeah. It can't be that original of a name. <laughs> probably one in <laughs> Moscow or something like that. And you can find our areyoujustwatching.com page, mm-hmm. if nothing else, and message us there. Or through Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter at E. Franklin. And I'm on Twitter as uh, at Renchepley, uh, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. Somebody else stop spelling and, that, but <laughs> not anytime soon. <laughs> well, it, you do, you say it pretty much like it's spelled, Ren yeah. Chet, play. Um, you can also comment on the show notes for this episode, which will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 76. And you can call us at 903-231-2221 to leave a voicemail or email us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. Voicemails would be extra cool. Yeah, they would. You know, we we really haven't had much and most people don't pick up the phone anymore they'd much rather email <laughs> but you can email us audio files too that would be even great even better um if when you go to our website there's actually a way you can can record something directly onto our website too mm. which is kind of nice send a you can send a voice message right right directly from the website um so yeah there's lots of different ways we do encourage you to subscribe rate and review us in itunes just to kind of help our publicity and share us on Facebook. If you, if you follow our Facebook page and you see our post, when we post a a new episode, go ahead and share that on your timeline so that other people see it. Uh, That, that helps our visibility a great deal um, just to let other people know that we have published an episode on a particular item that other people might be interested in seeing. And for for that matter, it's, you know, if if you get your podcast through, uh, uh, any any of number sources, jump on over to iTunes and rate and review us. Uh, yes. That'll help people find us in iTunes and on mm-hmm. the sources that tie to iTunes podcast directory. Right. Do do remember too if if you feel like you really value our content to go over to patreon.com slash are you just watching and consider giving us a monthly gift just to help us keep our podcast going. We are going to be rebranding and that hopefully will be the first of the year or whatever we come up with uh, to to uh, record on in January. Mm-hmm. We will hopefully be introducing with our new brand. And we are going to take Christmas off. So I don't know exactly when we'll get this posted, hopefully before the end of November. But if we get it posted in December, this will be our last episode of the year. And be sure to check us out in January Happy to find new out. Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Actually, we should wish them a blessed Christmas and Absolutely. remember to Christ, keep Christ in the season. Uh, remember uh, wh- why Christ came to earth for us. That's such an important message of this time of year. Where we would be without him. And, and that, and we'll pull it all together that we're extremely thankful uh, that, to, that we are Christians and we know Christ and that we live in a country where we can worship him freely. And Amen. So, um, we, we thank you so much for listening to our podcast. I hope that you will subscribe and Uh, continue to listen to us as we uh, approach 2018. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. Thank you so much for listening. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx. Noodle.